helps. Good morning, everybody. You can look around and see around you that we're still missing a few people. Some are traveling, some are, so pray for seas and pray for healing. I know this time last week, uh, our family was about the fourth day into what seems the flu pandemic of 2024. My kids will tell you, Ashley will tell you, I'm not the nicest when uh, I don't feel well and my voice sounded kind of like a combination between James Earl Jones' Darth Vader and a sassy B. Arthur. So it's good to, good to be back with everybody this week. If you have your Bibles, um, turn with me to James uh, chapter 1. Um, and way to augment a few more announcements real quick as you're doing that. Uh, immediately following service, I believe Beverly wants to meet with the parents or guardians of any of the youth that are uh, going on the trip, or if you're a chaperone trip, just very briefly right after service, Beverly. Um, so just meet up here for a few moments. And then next Sunday, again, if you work in the children's uh, ministry, there's a mandatory meeting for current workers that are uh, interested in helping with that immediately following service. So, and then one more thing, because I forgot to mention during Sunday school, so I'm going to do it now. If you're part of my small group and you haven't gotten a book that we're starting next week, see me after service or see Ashley. And if you're not a part of a small group, get connected. We have multiple small groups, multiple avenues, different days, um, uh, different age groups, different uh, seasons and walks in life. So I really encourage everybody that if you're not a part of a small group to to try and get involved in one. But again, this morning we're going to be in James chapter 1 and uh, we're just going to go through the first four verses in James, but by way of a, a little introduction here, there's several men in the New Testament that go by the name of James, um, but with scriptural and historical evidence, we're fairly certain we can identify this man. This is a man they call James the Just, and he was a man who eventually rose to uh, lead and steward uh, the church in Jerusalem, but another notable thing about this James is, in fact, that he was the half-brother of Jesus Christ. He was the son of, of Mary and Joseph. So this is also the same James that ta- uh, Paul speaks about who had a, a, a post-resurrection appearance by Jesus in 1 Corinthians 15 telling us, after that he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, most of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep, and that's, that's a euphemism to uh, spiritual death. But then he appeared to James, and then to all the apostles. So, you know, I find it interesting that, you know, James got this, this individual uh, uh, visitation by Jesus following his resurrection. But we happen to know from Scripture that, you know, his earthly brothers during uh, Jesus' earthly ministry, um, they, 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 they didn't really follow him. Uh, this is recorded in the book of John. Uh, John 7, 5 reads, for not even his brothers believed in him. So I believe there was, you know, there's a change of heart, uh, a conviction there, and he, he came to know and trust in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and as God. So again, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to James chapter 1, and we're going to read the first four verses, so stand with me. It says, James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember that for a moment. To the twelve tribes who are dispersed abroad, greetings. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result, 
so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Please be seated. See, when we read the beginning of this letter from James, it says, James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you're taking notes, circle that word bondservant, or keep that in your mind for just a moment. This is a word we come across many times throughout the New Testament. A bondservant was someone who willingly uh, uh, dedicated their entire life to their master. And they said, I have a good master, or, or I decline to be released from my servitude from, uh, from this individual. What's interesting here is that James considered himself a bondservant of Jesus Christ. And it's a very significant thing here at the end of verse 1. Again, he says, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if, if you've been around here any amount of time, you know, we preach Christ crucified and you, you, know, you can't serve two masters. But he says, I am a bondservant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. He's affirming the deity of Jesus. And we, were, we actually started going through that in Sunday school this morning, that Jesus Christ and God are one and the same. So make no mistake about that. But notice here at the end of verse 1 where James tells us who the letter is addressed to. Excuse me, I have a cough drop in my mouth trying to keep that suppressed. But to the 12 tribes who are dispersed abroad. But remember James, or, or no, or, or for the first time, that James was, uh, was shepherding or, or had spent some time pastoring the church in Jerusalem. There came a time when the church got scattered and, and, and they, they went abroad because persecution had broke out. And the Greek word diaspora, that's the idea of being dispersed, and that's, that's what had happened several times throughout history to the Jews. You know, the very first dispersion being uh, hundreds and hundreds of years earlier than that when the northern kingdom of Israel was, um, I believe they were conquered by the Assyrian Empire. But that was the first dispersion, but I don't believe that's what James is talking about here. You see, remember, James is leading the church, he's in Jerusalem, and I believe that he's thinking about the scattering of believers the persecution that took place during his lifetime. The book of Acts um, speaks a great deal about this persecution and the great outpouring of opposition against the church. And right about the same time when, when Stephen was martyred for defending his faith in the city, you know, they, they had stoned him to death for defending his faith. Um, you know, they surrounded him through rocks until he was dead. There was a man who would later become an apostle, a man named Paul. He was known at that time as Saul of Tarsus, but was standing there in total agreement, you know, of what was going on, you know, contributing to the, the chaos and the persecution. But scripture tells us that Saul began to breathe out murderous threats against the church. And he went from house to house, arresting people and dragging them in the jail and before the courts and uh, you know, just for being believers, professing the name of Jesus Christ. As recorded in Acts 1, Paul, uh, Saul persecutes the church. Saul was in hearty agreement with putting him to death. And on that day, a great persecution began against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except for the apostles. Some devout men buried Stephen and made loud lamentation over him. But Saul began ravaging the church, entering house to house and dragging off men and women, and would put them in prison. You see, this, this, what's happening this time, this was James's church. This was his people. They were scattered throughout the different regions, you know, Judea and, and Samaria, trying to find a place where they could be free from persecution. 
So because the people that James is writing to had to leave their homes and they were scattered throughout the area, he begins to say in verse 2, Consider it all joy. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. But let's stop here for a moment, moment because that kind of sounds absurd, right? I mean, when we don't naturally consider trials or difficulties or storms or problems in life something worthy of joy. You know, we, we attribute them or you know, worthy of lots of other things, but many cases, let's be honest, we, we don't look at them joyfully. We don't necessarily uh, look forward to trials or, or difficult situations. But this is a statement that can only be applied to our lives in a, in a spiritual and a faithful context. That means with the Lord helping you to understand what is actually going on in your life through the testing of your faith. And this is the meat of what we're talking about this morning. When you're going through trials, when you're going through hardships, storms, James says here in the scripture, count it all joy. When we go through those sorts of things, whatever they may be, he then goes on beginning in verse 3 to explain why. And looking at verse 3, knowing, so he's talking to believers, those who have placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, those who have repented, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And this, this is kind of exciting because there's strength of these words and knowing, you know, you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. You know, there's some things that I want us to bring out of this text. The first thing you know, James, again, is writing to believers. You know is a statement of, 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 of faith and of strength. And we have a tendency to forget that sometimes when we face those difficult situations. You know, we know. We know as believers, you know, and, and there's times, you know, in my own life too, that when we're going through a storm or a trial, we sometimes forget or need to be reminded of the good things God's going to bring out of them. And we forget that sometimes, don't we? All we can think about or focus on is the difficulty, the things we're experiencing in the moment, the emotions. You know, it's painful. It's hurtful. It stinks. I hate it. You know, going through trials, you know, it's not fun. It's rough, right? And if we're honest, I mean, how many are always like, you know, okay, here's one. Yeah, you know, it's like that little baby meme people send around, that little baby cleanses fist going, yes. Nobody looks at trials that way. But James says here there's an assurance to these trials. Assurance where we know that the testing of our faith produces endurance. Other translations, even ones that I was studying out of the last few weeks, you know, it may say steadfastness, but, you know, I don't use that word in normal vocabulary. I like the word endurance because, you know, we don't use that. But in the Greek, these words endurance and, and steadfastness carries the quality of what it takes to help you finish a marathon. And we've heard this analogy before. Paul speaks in themes like this as well. We've made the mention many times through the, the, the study of word that our Christian walk is like a marathon. You know, I was never, you can probably tell by looking at me, I was never a, a sprinter or a, a marathon runner. But many, many, many years ago, and, you know, probably 20 years and 50 pounds ago, I was in the Army. So... You'd have short runs, you would have long runs, you'd have little road marches, you'd have long road marches. You know, sometimes, you know, we'd all start off like a hurricane strong with great strength, but, man, after about the third mile, we were ready to call it quits, and it was just disaster. 
that approach doesn't do us much good in a Christian walk, does it? We have to learn to pace ourselves and rely on Christ, rely on God, because it's a lifelong marathon. What James is saying here is that when we're tested, when our faith is tested by trials, by difficulties, by problems, storms, it produces the ability to endure, to carry on, even when those situations seem just overly difficult. And this is why I believe he goes on the same verse 4, and let endurance have its perfect result. Or let endurance have its full effect. It means complete or total result in your life. Let that creating of endurance, that testing of your faith, have its full effect in your life to produce what God wants it to produce. Then he gives this result, bringing it full circle now here at the end of verse 4. So that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And whenever the Bible uses the word perfect, we've got to be very careful about how we apply that. In a a, a typical worldly way of thinking, the idea of concept of perfection is, you know, really gets skewed. You know, people will say all the time, you know, I'm not perfect, but really, because we were all just kind of sitting around thinking about how perfect you were and everything you do. But we should know, we all know, none of us are perfect. We all know that none of us will cease making mistakes or messing up from time to time this side of glory. Sin has affected all of us. Sin hurts. We know that. We get it. When the text uses uh, the word perfect here, it literally means having finished a race or having reached the finish line. We're kind of back to this idea of a marathon or, or this picture in your head of a race. This is saying that you want to let hardships in your life have its way with you. Embrace those trials in order to build you up and your endurance so that you can finish the race. But he also used the word complete. And that word encompasses the idea of gaining the whole portion of what God wants to produce in your life. You know, God blesses us with many things, things that are going to bless us uh, each differently. And what I believe James is saying is if you allow endurance to be formed and shaped in your life, that you will begin to take on more of that portion that God wants or his provision for you. Let endurance, let this, this, this steadfastness have its full effect in your life so that having reached the finish line, you'll understand and receive all, uh, all this that he has for you. You know, we can't even begin to fathom what this whole portion is, or, but we got to understand that something about this promise, this idea that what James is talking about or laying out here is to begin and understand the difficulties and the storms of life can have a positive impact on our lives. But they are predicated on two very important things, things that are extremely important for us to understand. And first is something that is from God, his provisions for his children, for those who are Christ. And secondly, there's something from us. And laying these out in terms of understanding what we're talking about here, first in Romans 8.28, And we know, again, we know, speaking to believers, God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. The reason this is is such an important verse to understand when we're enduring trials is that we need to know that God has purposed the trials in our lives 
to be a blessing to us. We're not fighting a losing battle. Those of you who are going through storms right now, going through difficulties, need to go, God has purposed good things to come out of those storms. And that's incredibly encouraging to hear when you're going through those hard times. You know, I, I, I know what it's like to go through hardships. We've all been there different ways. You know, we often hear in regard to trials, you're either, what, how's, how's Chad usually say it? You're either in the furnace coming out or you're heading towards one. But when we go through a trial, no, it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. But during those times, often when all we can see is the trial, all we can see is that hardship, all we can see is what's right in front of our eyes. And I'm, I'm praying and sharing this with you as an encouragement that in the midst of the storm, the trials that God has purposed good things to come out of them. You see, there's another element to this, the, the side of our equation and something that we, we must do. And it's encompassed in Hebrews chapter 12. And beginning at verse 7, listen here. You say, and, and again, it says, listen here. It is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as his sons. For what son is there whom the father does not discipline? But if you're without discipline, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Furthermore, we had earthly fathers to discipline us, and we respected them. Shall we not much rather be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good, so that we may share his holiness. All discipline, for the moment, seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. Yet to those who have been trained by it, afterwards it yields peaceful fruit of righteousness. See, the writer says, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields peaceful fruit of righteousness. God has purposed that through endurance of the trials and the storms that you're, you're going through right now will come to harvest a season of righteousness. There will be a, a good fruit. There will be a peaceful work of God in your life that comes from these trials. But it's conditional for those who have been trained by it. Now think about the people you work with, if you're ex-military, the people that you trained with. Does everybody go through the hardships as they go through that they receive the same training? More specifically, or turn that around, is everyone open to the training? They're not. Not everybody is. And that's the work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts. That's why we might run into someone who's been through a lot in their life, been, you know, been through so many trials, and they just they, 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 they seem bitter or even angry with everyone or everything. Never seems to have a good day. It's, you know, just when we talk about having been trained, though, there's, there's, there's this sort of permission or better term, submission that we give or, or, or we yield to the Holy Spirit during times of trials and difficulties. The Holy Spirit speaking to us to open our hearts and convict us to see what we need to learn so that we might receive that training. And it's all about coming to the Lord and humbling ourselves. Learning to be humble enough that when you go through a difficult season, say honestly that, you know what? I could stand to learn something from this. You know, pray to open our hearts to receive 
from the Lord what he wants to share with us. How we are to be matured, how we are to be trained in that situation or trial. You know, and though you may be humbled to the learning and the training process that God wants to bring, a huge hindrance to this whole process is the belief that God always wants me happy, healthy, and prosperous. It's that that health, wealth, and prosperity junk being slung around more than ever. And, and, and don't misunderstand me or take something away I didn't say. I believe God loves us, and I believe God wants to do work of good things in our life. But here's the problem, the, the, the hindrance. Our definition of good is not always in line with what God's definition of good is, is it? More often than not, we have our own understanding of what we call good, don't we? Usually the idea of good is wrapped in monetary things or, or pleasures, materialism. Usually, under our definition, painful things don't fall under that particular definition, under hardships. But again, referring back to that passage in Hebrews, that when we're going through a time of training, yeah, it is usually painful. But later on, it produced something that is good. You know, we have a real hard time seeing that sometimes, don't we? we? Because we just, we have that just closed-minded perspective. We have a hard time looking down the road, as it were, and seeing what good's going to come out of those things or those trials, the blessings through them. And because this teaching, God always wants me happy, and people are clinging to that junk, you know, God always, you know, wants me to bless you, bless your bank account, wants you to prosper, have whatever it is your heart desires. It creates confusion of false assumptions about God. I'm talking about a heavenly father who cares more about your holiness than he does your happiness. Because he knows that true, ha- true, true holiness brings about true joy, which brings about true happiness. It's important that we understand that in the context as to why, uh, you know, God allows those trials in our lives. Coming back to James in verse 4, and let endurance have its perfect result so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Again, having all of what God has granted you, blessed you with, you know, we're the Biggest barriers, hindrances to our own growth. In many cases, we're, we're, we're our own worst enemy. We're the hindrance at times for our personal growth and, and fighting against the Spirit. But I pray and hope this is an encouragement to those this morning, anyone who's going through a trial or a storm or a difficult season right now. It's probably easier, let's be honest, just to blame it all on the devil or someone else or start rebuking and resisting the difficulties. But submitting to God, God's will, and those times that he's provisioned or purposed these things, submitting to that will will bring to fruition maturity and holiness. And that's a good thing. That's a wonderful thing. But it begins and ends with submission and peace knowing that the one who created you will sustain you. Through faith in Jesus Christ, we experience the trials becoming triumphs. You know, when facing trials, you know, the things to consider 
essential things to pray over or meditate on when you experience you're going into these trials. You know, a joyful heart, uh, 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 an understanding mind, and a surrendered will. Looking at trials with the joyful attitude. Because often outlook determines outcome, doesn't it? Or attitude determining actions on our end. When trials come, give thanks to the Lord for all the blessings in your life and provisions you had and adopt and pray for a joyful attitude. Look through trials through the lenses of faith. You know, it may be asked or you're wondering, you know, how is this possible? Well, it comes with an understanding mind. And I've said this before, and it, it, it fits here. Faith is like a muscle, and I've used this analogy. Faith is like a muscle. It has to be exercised. Testing of our faith works for us, not against us. It builds endurance. It builds a stronger faith. Trials help mature us. Devote time to reading Scripture, studying Scripture, prayer, praying over Scripture, praying for that understanding. There is no substitute for an understanding mind. The difficult thing about maturing It's the weaning. It's like children being weaned from milk to solid food. And often we're like those children, and God has to wean us from our childish ways and our immature attitudes. But God uses those trials to wean us. But if we don't surrender to him, surrender to his will, we become even more immature. And oftentimes we have to step out of our comfort zones to see what God has in store for us. And I've heard before, God will not, and we've all heard it, God will not put on you more than you can handle. That's ridiculous. Yes, he will. If you could handle it all, do it all, carry it all, what need would you have for God? How would your faith be tested? More importantly, how would your faith be lacking? It's not your personal or material resources that carry you through trials. It's your faith. It's his strength. We'll face seasons of trials and suffering. None of us will experience the full weight of suffering as Jesus experienced it for those that are in him. I mean, he experienced suffering, carrying the full wrath of God, broken, so that we could be redeemed through Christ. Trials become means of growing in holiness and joy. So something to pray over this week. What's your response to trials? What do these trials reveal about your heart? Do you trust God? Or do you trust yourself? Do you find yourself at times struggling to surrender to his will? How strong is that faith muscle? Is it one that's strong enough to endure the furnace, the suffering? We all experience trials, but God has something great in mind, and James is calling us to see this here in this passage. As I invite the band to come up and close us in worship, I came across a quote from Charles Spurgeon earlier this week. I want to share that. I have always looked back at times of trial with great 
kind of longing. Not to have them return, but to feel the strength of God as I felt it then. To feel the power of the faith as I felt it then. To hang on to God's powerful arm as I hung on to it then. And see God at work as I saw him then. The strength of God, the faith in trials, clinging to him through the storms. I pray that that's all of our attitudes and that we can all count a great joy. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for the time for fellowship. I pray the Spirit does a mighty work in our hearts and reveal to us in areas where we may need a little more maturity, where we may need a little bit more of that faith tested. Father, we thank you for others that have gone through trials before us, that you've given us someone that can help us and and minister to one another through those storms, following them as we all follow you. Lord, I pray most of all, if there's anybody here this morning that hears this message later, that does not have a relationship with your son, Jesus Christ, that your spirit convicts their hearts before it's eternally too late, that they will come to know him, repent of their sins, and have that, that strength and that confidence that knowing when they weather the storms, they are not alone. Father, I just pray that these words just pull at our hearts and richly dwell in them. And above all else, we give you thanks for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And in his name we pray, amen. Please stand and worship with us.